Amen. Hey, y'all can uh, take your seats. Okay, Maple Grove, this is it. The last Sunday of our summer of 2016 conversations, heroes, uh, amazing stories of faith. Man, has this been a, a fun series or what, right? This has been an incredible time. I, I, I mean, since June the 19th, a, a biblical hero who has run and completed the race marked out for them has stepped down out of that great cloud of witnesses and has run a lap with us, warning us, encouraging us, and challenging us as we run the race that God has marked out for us. I mean, we've met so many great heroes, like Noah, a dad who saved his family. Heroes like Moses, who, like us, were, was called to deliver people out of bondage. Heroes like Daniel, a, 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 a very salty guy, right, who, who lived in a very pagan environment for 70 plus years and maintained his faith, impacted two empires, Babylon and Persia, and literally shut the mouths of lions. Heroes like Ruth, who, who taught us and showed us the power and the, and the beauty and, and the utter transformational impact of redemption. And, and then there was Gideon, right? A hero is very unlikely, and, and maybe you feel kind of unlikely to do something great for God today. I mean, he was timid, he was afraid, he was hiding, he, he had a hard time trusting God, and yet God used Gideon to win an incredible victory with an army of 300 men armed with trumpets, torches, and clay pots. And then there's David. Uh, David actually ran two laps with us, and during lap number one, uh, David taught us how you and I can defeat the giants, the giants that stand in the way of you and I becoming all that God created us to be. And then lap number two, David taught us what we need to do and how we need to respond when we really mess up, and he sure did. And then there's Elijah, uh, that hero who, who stood on Mount Carmel and who challenged all of us to cast down, to throw down our idols, to throw down anything or anyone we put before God and to follow God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And then Elisha, that, that hero who, who taught us to go out and dig ditches of faith, confident that God will fill those ditches. And then Abraham, a hero who is teaching us how, how we can pass the four tests of life. You know, the lessons that Noah and Moses and Daniel and Ruth and Gideon and Elijah and David and Elisha have taught us, have taught me, have, have taught you, were, are powerful, motivating, inspiring, and potentially life-changing if, if, if we, we take their advice. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And, and I remember next week we're going to have a special service where we will share about what some members of Maple Grove experienced as they traveled overseas to make him known in places like of the Dominican Republic and Romania. And then on Sunday, September the 11th, uh, we're going we're to begin a, a series of conversations that I've creatively called Church. Turn to the person to your right and left and say, Church. 
church. Uh, understand countless ideas, images, thoughts, perceptions, beliefs, and emotions come into people's minds whenever they hear the word church. Now, some of these ideas, images, thoughts, perceptions, beliefs, and emotions are good, true, hopeful, and helpful. But others are bad, wrong, false, and destructive. Brothers and sisters, what is the church? Why is it here? Why does it matter? Is it all that important? Should, what should it look like? What is your role and your responsibility in it? Should we even care? And then the most important question, where do we go to find the answer to those questions and to many other questions about the church? Do we go to our culture? Right? Do we turn on the news, social media? Do we go to a pastor, to another church leader? Do we go to the very next Bible conference? Right? Where do we go? I tell you, there's only one place that we can and must go to discover the power and the beauty and the meaning and the purpose of the church, and that is to the living and active, enduring forever word of God. Amen? And that, my friends, is where we're going to be going beginning September the 11th. And, and I would recommend that you buckle up, right? Um, it, it's going to be quite a ride. Okay, back to our final heroes, amazing stories of faith conversation. Um, Abraham, a hero who passed the test. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you're loving, <laughs> that you're wise that there's nothing in our lives that you cannot revive. God, we thank you that nothing is wasted, that you truly can work all things out for good. God, we thank you that we can look up and know that there's no one above you, God, and, and that we can bow down to let you know that we need you. And God, that we can look back and see how faithful you've been in our lives, which gives us the confidence to look forward knowing that you'll be there too. And God, we just love to praise you and worship you. And, and God, I pray that this morning as we, we, we talk about your word, as Abraham runs this lap with us, God, that uh, uh, you would help us and that you'd open up our hearts and minds and break down any walls or distractions. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Romans 4, 18 through uh, 21. Uh, some of my new favorite verses. I love it. Even when there was no reason for hope, ever been there? Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though, he had an even though faith, even though at the age of about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, his faith hanging in there, not wavering, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Now let's do a quick review of the two tests we talked about last week. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. Um, we have those online. You can check them out there um, on our website. Test number one was a test of a major change. It's the, the wear test. And, and listen, change for Abraham and for us always involves uncertainty, right? 
Uh, because change always involves leaving where you are and going someplace that you've never been. And remember that great advice tucked away in Joshua chapter 3, right? When we're going someplace we've never been? Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Here's great advice. Stay close to God and follow his lead, right? When you're going somewhere you've never been, stay close to God and, and follow his lead. Brennan Manning writes, the reality of life for the Christian, Christian men and women, requires that they leave what is nailed down obvious and secure and walk into the desert without rational explanations to justify their decisions or guarantee their future. Why? Solely and simply because God signals this movement and offers it his promise. Test number one is the where questions of life. Where should I go? Where should I serve? Where should I live? Where should I work? Test number two is a delayed promise. It's the, the when test of life. When am I going to get well? When is my marriage going to get better? When am I going to get the job that I want? When are things finally going to turn around and really get better? And yeah, I am so with you. The when test is tough. I mean, it's hard to keep waiting, especially when there seems to be no end in sight. And listen, we need to remember what Abraham taught us during that first lap around the track with us. He taught us that the key to maintaining and growing and never wavering in our faith, even though the promise is delayed, is to place all our hope and all our confidence in the truth that for every Jesus follower, a big win is coming. Brothers and sisters, do not let your hearts be troubled. You are going home. Amen? You're going home. Mark Buchanan writes in his book, Things Unseen, yes, heaven is meant to be our fixation, our big fix. It's to be our deep secret, like being in love, uh, where just the thought of it carries us through the menial chores of the day or imparts to us courage in the face of danger. We fix on it, and it fixes us. Paul writes, think about the things of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, that perfect world that we're going to. Not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, this is crazy, this is nuts, I don't understand it, right? But you will share in all his glory. And that is some serious glory. Amen? Okay, as Abraham begins his second lap around the track, he begins talking to us about the test of an impossible problem. Impossible problem. By faith, and what is faith? Uh, the Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. I don't know if you know this or not, there's a lot of sand on the seashore. You know, I was at the beach recently and I started counting the sand on the seashore. I stopped at two, right? I said, all right, there's just, there's just too much. I'm going to stop. 
Understand, God had promised Abraham that one day, through a son born to him with his wife Sarah, that he would be the father of a great nation and that his descendants would be as countless as the sand of the seashore. However, the problem was, 24 years later, he's now 99 years old, that kid hasn't shown up yet. Now, if you were him, would you start to worry? I mean, 99 years, that, that's, that's getting kind of old. And what about Sarah, right? She's up there too. I mean, she's already gone through menopause. She's incapable of having kids. I mean, Abraham looks at himself and says, no way, Jose. And Sarah looks at herself and says, double no way, Jose. It was an impossible situation. That is, if they kept looking at themselves. Well, in Genesis chapter 18, God sent three messengers to talk to Abraham and his wife to tell them that what he had promised them was about to be fulfilled and that this impossible situation was about to be turned around into a miracle. So the messengers came and said, beginning in verse 9 of Genesis 18, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked Abraham. They're in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. I love this. No wife would ever do this, right? Be listening in, right? Now, Sarah was listening. I don't just happen to be there, straighten up the tent. I don't know. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of bearing children. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? I don't know, but I'm sensing a little bit of sarcasm at the entrance of the tent right there. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I, I, I want you to look the person to your right or left or some couple people around you in the eye and just ask that question. Because you know, they may be going through it in anything right now. But ask the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Go ahead and do that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the point in time and next year Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid so she lied. So I didn't laugh. This is a cough, you know, a sneeze. It wasn't a laugh. You know, just, <laughs> I wasn't laughing, God. This is coughing, something I ate. It's the sand out here. Right. Yes, you did laugh. Uh, brothers and sisters, Abraham and Sarah face an impossible situation. Abraham doubted. Sarah laughed. But God, as he always does, had the last laugh. And a year later, they had a son, and they named him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. I love it. They named him Laughter, a continual reminder, right, to never doubt, to not laugh, for nothing is too hard for the Lord. Get it? Get it? Get it? Get it? Wow, you all weak today, man. Get it? Got it! All right, I'll throw some got it in there, because I got it. All right, good. Um, Now, some of you are facing an impossible problem. And some remember you're about to. Sorry to tell you that. And, and you're worried sick because you don't know how God is going to bring it out in your life. You're in the third test, an impossible situation. 
It scares you. You're discouraged. You're, and you're not asking where. You're not asking when. You're asking how. How. Lord, how? Lord, how, how am I going to make ends meet this month? Lord, how am I going to get out of debt? Lord, how am I going to be able to handle all this stress and pressure that's on me? Lord, how will I ever find time for Bible study and for serving in the church? Lord, how am I going to fix this mess my marriage is in right now? Lord, how will I ever get through to that son or daughter of mine? Lord, how will I ever get my parents to finally understand? Lord, how will I ever get past all this junk and all these obstacles that keep coming in my way? Lord, how will I overcome this hurt, this habit, this hang-up? I mean, God, I've tried so many times, and every time I fell flat on my face, how? Yes, how? The how questions are the third test of faith. And listen, those who have faith will expect the miracle, expect God to move without knowing the answer to how. Now understand, over and over again in Scripture, we see God responding in powerful ways to the hows of his people. Lord, how can I ever stand in Pharaoh's court and say, let my people go? Lord, how do we get past the waters of the Red Sea before Pharaoh's chariots catch up to us? Lord, how will we ever bring down the mighty walls of Jericho? Lord, how are Naomi and I going to survive in Bethlehem after all we are just two widows? Lord, how will I ever, with an army of 300, defeat an army of tens of thousands? Lord, how can I give birth to the Messiah when I've never been with a man. Lord, how can I feed thousands of people with just five loaves and a, and a few fish? Lord, how can I defeat a mighty giant with just a smooth stone? Lord, how will I ever recover from this huge mess up? I will give everything to have never gone on that balcony and looked at Bathsheba to begin with. Lord, how can us, 12 timid, frightened, unschooled, ordinary, under-resourced men take the gospel and make disciples of all nations? How? Yeah, the question is huge. But the answer is simple. How? Because all things are possible with God. How? Because nothing is too hard for the Lord. I love that story that, that Justin told a few weeks ago, right? You know, uh, where God said, hey, you know, it, it's, really, you know, it's really an easy thing for me. Like, I know this dry desert, you know, and, and for me to fill this dry desert valley with water without rain and wind, that's, that's an easy thing for me. Does anybody here do that, right? Could you do that? God said, that's easy. It's a piece of cake. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for God. But the question is, do we believe that? Do you believe that whatever impossible situation you're facing right now, that nothing is too hard for the Lord? That nothing is too hard for the God who created everything simply by speaking? That nothing is too hard for the God who holds the oceans in his hands? That, 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 that nothing is too hard for the God who breathes out stars? That nothing is too hard for the God who is and was and always will be, that nothing 
is too hard for God. You know, on uh, October the 13th, I'm chilling out at the beach, and, and uh, I said, uh, good morning, Dad. I'm, I'm here in the middle of your creation to meet with you. There's no one like you, never has been, never will be. We have met here so many times before. I love meeting you here. I've looked at these waves time and time again and, and watched them crash and heard their roar beating against the shore endlessly. And you hold them in your hands. That's crazy. That's nuts. They just keep coming and coming. Nothing can stop them. Just like nothing can stop your plans and purposes. With you, all things are possible. You know, and, and then I wrote like in like big red, right? Or if it's red, then it's really like God, right? You know. <laughs> Steve, this is true. Look around at what I created. Do you see the oceans? Do you hear the waves? And do you hear the birds singing? Then stop doubting me. Stop this partial faith nonsense. It limits my power. I go, okay. <laughs> it's a bit a little bit nicer. You know, I got up early to meet you here. He says, man, this guy's like, seriously? Like, 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 like he, he created this whole world by speaking. We're like, yeah, I know you did that, God. <laughs> I know you're holding our earthing orbit right now, and it's hurling through space at 80,000 miles an hour, spinning at 1,000. Yeah, I know you got us the right, to, the, the right part of the galaxy and all that stuff, but God, I'm having a really hard time right now. I, I don't really think you can handle this. I know you created life, but I, seriously, nothing's impossible for him. And understand, whenever we move with God, he always shows up. It's just difficult to predict what he'll do, how he'll do it, and when he'll show up. But here's the deal. If we refuse to do anything or go anywhere until we have all the answers to the house, the only thing that is guaranteed is that we will miss out on endless opportunities to join God in his story. And I, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've I think these questions are tattooed on my head, all right? You know, at the house, like, Lord, how in the world are you going to do this? How, how are you going to pull this off? How? Just one quick example. I, I, I remember at the age of 27, I had my plans. God changed my plans and, and said, hey, yeah, you know, you've been in Navy nine and a half years. You, you got to change that. And, and, and so, so, you know, I, I left uh, Newport News, Virginia to go to uh, Kissimmee, Florida. I was 27, had two kids, had, had, no, had no job in Florida. My wife had no job in Florida. I had enough money saved to pay for uh, tuition for one semester. That's all I had. I had no plans, nothing, you know. And, 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 but we went. It's like I, we just went. And, and do you know how many, you, you know, you know many semesters tuition I paid for my entire time in college? One. I never paid another dime for tuition. You know why? Because God showed up. And, and the church I left in Virginia, they said, hey, you know what? Lebanon Church of Christ, hey, you know, you know we're going to give them some money. And then Judy's Home Church in Jacksonville said, well, they're going to give them some money. You know, we're going to give them more money because we've known them longer. It's like, hey, you know, let's get a bidding war here. And I never paid another dime in four years for tuition. And listen, here's what I've learned along the way. If God wants something done, it's going to get done. It's going to happen. And that's why like Noah and Moses and Gideon and Daniel, Elijah and Ruth and David and Elisha and Abraham, we can't allow the house of life to stop us dead in our tracks. Remember, God is pretty smart, right? 
It's that all-knowing, omniscient thing, right? He'll figure out the how. In fact, he already knows how, right? He already knows what he's going to do. On top of that, God's pretty powerful. It's that all-powerful, omnipotent stuff. God can make it happen. Understand, God never freaks out. You know, I can freak out. My wife was here first service when I said that she gave a hearty amen. And I said, you know, I can go from peace to freaking out like faster than a car in the Indy 500, man. I can be at peace and be freaking out, right? God has never freaked out. He wouldn't know how to freak out. He's never overwhelmed. He's, he's never taken by surprise. He's never like, what am I going to do? Never. He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. Question, are there any howls hanging over your head this morning? Are you afraid, confused, overwhelmed, hopeless, feeling powerless because of an impossible situation? If so, remember the words that God spoke to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And remember those words that, that Paul breathed, that God breathed through Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Wow, that's crazy and awesome. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And listen, here's the deal. When we, when we do that, when we remember that, that God is able to do anything, nothing's too hard for him. What, what we're doing then, what I'm doing when I do that, is, is I'm, I'm taking my focus off the impossible situation and I'm placing my focus on the anything is impossible God. And when we do that, what we do is, what I like to call it, we are flipping the lens, right? I've used this before. Yeah, this is a kid's binocular. Don't make fun of me. If you got a better one, you can give me one, but this is all I got, right? Okay, it hangs in my office to remind me, right? You know, like when I look through this lens right, when I look through this lens right here, I mean, oh my God, some of you are really frightening and big and scary looking, right? You know, good, oh my gosh, that egg right there, you may want to get it out, right? But when I do it this way, when I flip the lens, <laughs> boom, pop your little head, your little head ain't so big no more, no, it ain't scared of me now, pop, right? It, 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 no, no, wonder, no wonder we get so afraid, right? It, it, we're looking through the wrong lens. We're, we're looking through the lens of our own strength, our own inabilities. We're looking through the lens of our impossible situation. We're looking through the lens of, of all the naysayers that are around us telling us it ain't going to work. It's impossible. You're a loser or whatever. But when we flip the lens... When we flip the lens and look through the lens of who God is and what Jesus has done and is doing, whatever was intimidating us, discouraging us, isn't such a big deal anymore. When we flip the lens, we're reminded of just how huge and how powerful and how mighty our God is. We're reminded that what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, right? It's true. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, I have this in my office. I wish I was taller, then it would hit my head, right, when I walk in, but I'm short and I miss it. I got to jump to hit it, right, because it's just hanging there, right, to remind myself, you know, to flip the lens, but here's the deal. This is truth. 
you know, that, that whatever your impossible problem is right now, if you're a Jesus follower, the one that's in you is greater, right? He's greater. He's greater than. He's greater than that problem. He's greater than that difficulty. He's greater than the house that overwhelm you. Amen? One more test. The neighbor's got to go. And it, it, it's, it was the ultimate test in his life. It'll be the ultimate test in our lives as well. Test number four, a senseless tragedy. It's the why test. By faith, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would have received the promise. It was about to sacrifice the promise, right? It was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac, your offspring, that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now, you may know the story. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. It's probably the story that more people question in the Bible than any other. God asked Abraham, after Isaac had grown up, he's probably about 12 to 13 years of age, and God came to Abraham one day and said, take your son, Genesis 22, verse 2, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, the promised one, whom you love, take your son, your only son, whom you love, do you see some foreshadowing happening there? Who you love so much and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. Now put yourself in Abraham's sandals. How would you feel? Lord, he's my son. I love him. I care about him. And God, what about the promise? I don't understand why you're asking me to do this. Now, now, we know the rest of the story, right? 4,000 years ago, guess what? He didn't. He didn't know. And so what did Abraham do after God told him to go? Scripture says he went the very next day. Man, I love this guy. I admire this guy. The very next day, he loaded up his donkey. He told Isaac, hey, go, go hug and kiss your mom. I don't want to no, know. You really go Go hug and kiss your mom goodbye. And I guarantee he had a tear right here as he watched them hug. And then he made the three-day journey to the mountains of Moriah. He climbed the mountain. He, he stacked the wood. He prepared the altar. He lit the fire. He tied up his teenage son, and he drew back the knife. Are you kidding me? How could he do this? And, and what was his confidence? Notice it says in verse 19, Abraham reasoned. In other words, he thought it over in his mind. And Abraham decided this basic truth of life, that God has the right to make any demand upon his life that he wants to make, whether he understands it or not. Abraham reasoned that, that after all, God is God and he's not God. And God created everything, including life, including him, including Isaac. I mean, he wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for God. Uh, therefore, everything I have or ever will have, I owe to God. So any demand he makes on my life, I don't have any right to refuse. Whatever he asks me to give, I must give it. And on top of that, Abraham reasoned 
hey, if God could bring life out of a dead womb, if God could bring life into a universe, then God could raise the dead. You see, he walked up that mountain expecting a resurrection. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Because you see, in Abraham's mind, his son was dead, right? He went up that mountain believing God could raise him, but knowing he would have to sacrifice him first. That would be hard, right? I mean, even if I knew for sure, hey, take your son, right? You know, and you know, get a knife, yeah, put it right through his heart, light him on fire, but it's okay because I'm going to raise him back. I, I don't know about you, but I'd still have a difficult time doing it. But Abraham did. And the lesson is that faith, the kind that moves mountain and pleases God, the lesson is that faith will trust God's purpose without knowing why. That faith will continue to hope in God even when that faith is thrown into a fiery furnace that makes no sense. The lesson is that faith keeps believing even if the answers you eventually get don't come anywhere as close to adding up question ever been there some of you are going through the why test why did I lose my job why did my marriage have to fall apart why did I have that miscarriage why did my mom and dad have to get a divorce why did my loved one get cancer and die why did this relationship have to end so badly why did everything have to go south why did all those so close to me have to leave and betray me? Why did my child have to die? Why did I have to get so sick? Why did all those things have to happen to me? Why did everything have to go so wrong? And understand, there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. In fact, every person in the Bible asks that question, but listen, the test, the one that builds their faith comes when you ask why and the answer does not come immediately, especially the one that you want. Now, now over the years, I, I found that the key to deal with the whys of life is for us to break through what I call the, you know, the, we got to break through what I call the either or thinking. We see it in John chapter 2. Jesus' disciples and the, Jesus disciples encounter a guy who was born blind and Jesus asked a question. That reveals this either or mindset. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. You see, to them, there was only one explanation. Either his parents sinned or, or he sinned. That's the only options they had. They were wrong, but that's what they had grown up with. And understand, this either or thinking trapped them in seeing this man's situation as totally hopeless. And that's what either or thinking does. It traps us. It puts us in between a rock and a hard place where we see no way out. Now, for Abraham, it could have been, right? You know, e either I kill my son or I disobey God. For us, it may be either God turns my marriage around or I will be unhappy and miserable till the day I die, either or. Uh, or it could be, you know, either God heals my sickness or I'll continue to suffer and I will never really live again, either or. Understand, when you're, when you're a victim of either or thinking, the number one way you feel is trapped, trapped in a 
bad marriage, trapped with bad kids, trapped in a bad life, trapped in a painful situation. And when you feel trapped, you start asking questions like, why me? Where's God when I need him? What did I do to deserve this? But check out how Jesus responds to either or thinking in John 9, 3. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect. Look instead for what God can do. Look instead for what God can do. Why? Because that's how you break through either or thinking. Why? Because that's how you get out from the rock in the hard place. Why? That's how you start to open up your eyes to the possibilities that are ours because of who our God is. Possibilities, I I like to call God's option three, G-O-3, right? And here's how it works. You, You begin to see that job that you're struggling with as an opportunity to grow in your walk with the Lord and, and to be a light for him, a different way of thinking, right? rather than, well, either I'm miserable or I leave this job. You begin to see your marriage that is difficult right now as something that God really could heal, and even if he doesn't, as the place that God could strengthen you to help you make it through and then use you to show a different kind of love to the world. You begin to see your sickness, not as a a result of punishment for sin, but something that God's going to use to display his glory. Why are you going through what you're going through? I I don't know all the whys. I know one why. I know one why. I I, I know one why. This happens so the work of God might be displayed in his life, is what Jesus said about the blind guy. Why are you going through this hard time? Don't know all the reasons, but I know one thing. God wants to display his glory through your hardship. Amen? God wants to display. Right, because the world, man, we're on a cruise ship sipping iced tea, right? And lemonade, hanging out, getting a nice suntan. And we're saying, hey, God's great. That doesn't, that doesn't impact the world. But when your world is crashing and you're about to drown and you're still singing God's praises, the world goes, wait a second. <laughs> I don't know what you got. But that's the real deal, and I want some of it. It's a different way of thinking. Visualize this either or trap you're in right now. Now look at what God can do. I mean, Jesus is preaching. He's out, he's out, in, he's out in the wilderness, and it's getting late, and, and, the, and the people are getting hungry. And the disciples start doing some either or thinking, right? Either we send all these people away to get some food, right, before all the stores close, or they go hungry. And Jesus said, nah, nah, GO3. We got another option. And a boy's Lunchable, right, feeds 5,000 people. You know, back in the summer of 1996, 20 years ago, you know, I, I, I was doing some serious either-or thinking, right? You know, either God heals my wife Judy of cancer, or I spend the next 30 years of my life alone, and life will never be good again, right? Either or. And God says, don't think so. Don't think so. I got another option. And 20 years ago, he brought a beautiful woman by the name of Laurie into my life, and said, I got another option. It's, it's option three. It does not have to be either or. And, and, and let me tell you, this, this here is so important. 
Um, something I learned in the struggle, and, and maybe someone today will hear it, and it'll be part of the, the why I had to struggle. And, 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 and here's what I learned. You know, here's what, when we're in the midst of a difficult time, right, we cannot limit God by defining victory for God, okay? See, if I had to say, God, the only way to have victory is if you heal my wife of her cancer. That's it. Well, I've handcuffed God, haven't I? Yeah? We don't get to define victory. We just trust in our God, right? He, he knows better than we. He knows things that we don't know. He, see things, he sees things that, that we cannot see at the time, right? Yeah, I couldn't see it at the time. But when you, when you fast forward, forward about three years later, and, and my son John, my oldest son John, is, is driving in a car with, his, with Laurie, and, and he's having a conversation with her, and, and John is saying, you know what, Miss Laurie, when mom died, I was really, really mad at God. But now I understand why. Because if mom hadn't have died, dad wouldn't have married you, and we wouldn't be up here in Georgia helping all these people get to know Jesus, right? I couldn't see it. I was trapped in either or to I decided, God, I'll just trust you. And God, I'll let you define victory. And his victories are usually better than ours, right? He is able to do immeasurably more. Now, this blind man in chapter 9, he heard what Jesus was saying. He, he, he was blind, not deaf. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And then Jesus walks up to him and begins to talk to him, inviting him in a different way of thinking, of looking at life and the situation, opening his eyes to the very possibility of seeing. Good question. What do you want God to do for you? What, what, do you, what do you want to be able to see this morning? What either or trap do you find yourself in? I understand it. If you want to see, you must break through either or thinking. If you want to see, you must look instead to what God can do. If you want to see, you must let God define the victory. And you must let him use your wise to bring him glory. So God did not give any explanations to Abraham in any of these four tests of, of where, when, how, or why. He simply said, follow me, trust me. I am with you. I got this. I got you. I am God. You know, on that uh, Saturday when I was on the beach, I, I was taking pictures early in the morning, and I took this picture right here uh, of this one of my friends. He's, he, he beat me to the beach that morning. And, and, and I took that picture, and I, and, and, and I, I, I wrote in my journal, and then I, I put on Facebook, on Saturday, August the 13th. I saw this guy early this morning, calm, chilling, not worried about the waves. Like, he should be like freaking out at least a little bit. Get one wing, wing flapping at least. Because he knows the creator only allows them to go so far. Job 38, verse 11. This far and no farther will you come. Here you proud waves must stop. Then I wrote, hey, if troubled waters are stirring your life right now, remember the waves and the wind still know his name. And this little seagull taught me a valuable lesson. Don't freak out. God's got this. 
Dude didn't move. In the last days of World War II, we're about done, the body of an old man was found in a bombed-out basement in Berlin. Before he died, the old man had taken a sharp rock and he, he, he scrolled the falling words on, on the wall, I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I, I believe in love even when I do not feel it. And I believe in God even when he's silent or he seems silent. The prophet Habakkuk said it this way, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, sounds like a country and western song, doesn't it? Uh, Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall, everything is bad. It got no money, right? It's nothing's working out right. Yet, I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Brothers and sisters, what, what, what test are you in right now? Are, are you in the test of a major change? Where? Test of a delayed promise? When? Possible situation? How? A senseless tragedy? Why? Again, the, the book of Hebrews tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see, and, and that this is what the ancients, what Noah and Gideon and David and Elisha and Elijah and Ruth were commended for. They're sure and certain of things. It's not that they were being presumptuous about God. It, it just means that they, they believed God for everything that he promised. And, and, and listen, you, you, God basically promises us, God basically promises us three things. Three things that you and I can be sure and certain of. Uh, number one, who he is. God is great, and God is what? God is great, and God is? God is great, and God is good. We can be certain who God is. And, and we, can be, we can be certain of our relationship to him. If we have surrendered to Jesus... We are his sons and daughters. We are secure in his love. We have been adopted into his family. We can be sure of that. And we can, we can be sure of how this journey ends, or really how this journey actually begins, right? But, but, but how the journey here goes, we don't really know. It is full of twists and turns and uphill climbs and, and sudden deep drops, right? But, but here's what we know. We know that the final chapter in the story has been written. Jesus wins. And all who love Jesus win too. And all who love Jesus will find out one day that in all these things, in all the wins and wheres and whys and hows and whats, McCulloch or whatevers, right? But finding all these things, they have been, what? More than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved them. And Abraham goes back in the stands. We're not alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have things to teach us. And, and I think they have taught us well. Would you stand? You know, every... Uh, 
Every Sunday when the message is over, it's a time for us to respond. And, and maybe today what your response is, is you just need to trust God. You need to take the lesson from the little seagull and just chill out. He's got it. He's got you, right? He's, he, 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 can, he can deal with it. You got to trust him. Some of you got to stop handcuffing God and tell him what he needs to do. He's God, you're not. He knows more than you know, right? Quit telling God what to do and say, God, whatever you do, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to stick close to you. You know, and if you're here today and you're not, you're like, you're not secure, you're not in your walk with God, you, you, you know, that's one of the things God wants you to be certain of, but you're like, hey, I'm not really certain of where I stand with God. Hey, come up and talk with me. We can talk about that. Or maybe you're just hurting and you like some prayer. You know, come up here and, and we can pray with you. And then all of us have the opportunity to respond by taking communion, right? You, you know, because when Abraham took his son up there, right, if you know the story, you know, that he raised the knife and God said, yo, stop, <laughs> right? Don't. And, and the bushes, the thicket, was a ram. And he says, take that ram instead. And, and there God was given the name Yahweh Yair. God provides, right? God provided. He didn't have to go through with it. He loved his son. Fast forward 2,000 years ago, there was another son. There was another only son who was deeply loved. And, and that time, there, were, there, was no, there was no ram in the thicket. There was no way to stop it, right? And because God's, God's justice demanded our condemnation, but his love desired our salvation. And, and so he allowed Jesus to be sacrificed. And every week we remember that, you know? Yeah, it's just a cracker. Remember that, wow, he broke his body for me, and he, he shed his blood for me because he wants me to be able to be home. I'm going to pray, and then when I'm done praying, it'll be a short prayer. You know, just take your time, go over there, commune with God, maybe pray with a friend or a neighbor. God, we love you. And God, we thank you for this great cloud of witnesses. And, and God, I, I just pray. God, there's some people, man, you know, in this room, man, it's hard. Life is hard. It's difficult. And God, I, I pray that they will know that, that because Jesus overcame, that, that we can overcome and that we will overcome. And, and God, I just pray that they'll just trust you and, and, and know that you have their best interests in mind. And God, if there's someone here that's not sure about where they are with you, God, God, may they come and talk to me or talk to somebody, get with me during the week. And God, may we all just celebrate the fact that you loved us so much that you allowed Jesus to die for us. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.